So how did he die? He was murdered. Obviously. How was he murdered? With an ice pick. How long were you dating him? I wasn't dating him. I was fucking him. What are you, a pro? No, I'm an amateur. How long were you having sex with him? About a year and a half. Were you with him last night? Yes. Did you leave the club with him? Yes. Did you go home with him? No. We had a drink at the club. We left together. He went home and I came out here. Was there anyone with you last night? No. I wasn't in the mood last night. Let me ask you something, Mr. Mel. Are you sorry he's dead? Yeah. I liked fucking him. Look, I don't really feel like talking anymore. Listen, lady, we can do this downtown if you want. So read me my rights and arrest me. And then I'll go downtown. Otherwise, get the fuck out of here. God, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another sexy installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 142, Basic Instinct. I'm excited about this episode. I'm excited about this series that we're going to do here. I think this is maybe one of the first times that I've been watching what we're going to do for the show and actually text you about how excited I am to do it. Yeah, Basic Instinct is probably the best movie we've ever done on this yeah, podcast. I think so. I, it's <laughs> it's one of the greatest like, films ever made, for sure. When I was watching it, it just put me in such a good mood, you know? It's just another time. It's back when movies could be movies. And yeah, it just, just could fun, be fun. Right. <laughs> we've talked about it. Our listeners have gotten excited. We're here. It's June. It's the first ever One Trashy Summer. Zach brought to you filled by up an entire notebook of notes for this one. Brought to you by the greatest moments in the history of forever. We're excited to talk about Basic Instinct. As always, follow the show on Twitter at GreatestPod. Subscribe on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. 
Now, we should probably get into this movie ASAP. Yeah, it could so be So much to one. talk about. I guess one way that we could kick off One Trashy Summer episodes is to talk about why this movie would qualify for oh, such okay, a month. Sure. <laughs> and I think the reasons why this movie qualify, despite the fact that it's a major studio film, it made... million dollars at the box office in 1992 dollars it has major stars in it sure it's because it just harkens to a different time and in today's context this movie's insane i think it was probably pretty insane even in 92 but like nowadays there's nothing like this how often do you see a movie in which uh, the story centers around a psychopath hot chick that's killing people with an ice pick and is filthy rich writing novels about it you know you just don't <laughs> see that very often a crazy cop who's killed like seemingly several people still is working in, for the police force this movie is the same writer director combo that did another movie that we did about a year ago showgirls right this is almost the polar opposite in terms of success sure Paul Verhoeven directed, written by Joe Esterhaus. And the reason I bring that up is Showgirls quite clearly was a major studio, big budget exploitation yeah. movie. And I think Basic Instinct is basically the same thing. Okay, right. Except done in a neo-noir erotic thriller there's style. So- I know this is going to sound crazy, but there's somehow like a legitimacy to Basic Instinct that Showgirls doesn't have, it feels like for me. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the flipping of the coin you know right they got things right with basic instinct whether it was casting the music the music sells this movie as something that you just are taking seriously from like minute one even though it's a pretty straightforward police procedural that doesn't even make that much sense at times (laughs) sure peppered with gratuitous sex and violence oh yeah showgirls just couldn't get anything right from the casting to the look of it, the music. To Kyle MacLachlan's hair. Everything was off. Yeah. And frankly, the script was just not as interesting. <laughs> True. The story of Showgirls is nowhere near as interesting as this story because people always will respond to a murder mystery. Yeah, and I mean, Sharon Stone, whatever you want to say about her, obviously stunning in this movie, but I, I would also say captivating. Yeah. It's hard to look away. It's one of the great hot chick performances in the history of film, for I'm gonna sure. I'm going to agree with that, yeah. It launched her into superstardom overnight. She only got like 500000 for this movie. Crazy. She wasn't in big roles a really leading up to this. Over $300 million. She got yeah, paid I mean, half a mil. they wanted a lot of other people before her. And frankly, Dude, I was, those <laughs> names aren't as impressive. They would not have been as good well, in this movie. I, I was reading that they offered this to julia roberts if she was on the list i was <laughs> yeah, like that julia sounds roberts. insane she would have I been mean, terrible in this movie oh, do you think she was gonna do this no but she would have been terrible imagine this interrogation scene is julia roberts <laughs> <laughs> well i don't think that scene's happening yeah if they would have landed a bigger star there's no way that that scene's happening well, what i mean and I, we'll talk about the whole controversy surrounding the famous interrogation scene when we get to that scene sure but, sure but sharon stone you can certainly say was like a good sport <laughs> about a lot of scenes in this movie. Yeah, I mean, she was willing to do all the nudity. I'm sure that's a, a major reason why a lot of the other actresses turned it down. I think Michael Douglas wanted Kim Basinger. Oh, yeah, she turned it down. I think the major thing to say about Basic Instinct is there's nothing realistic about it. It's 
almost an absurd story. No one in it talks like how normal people would talk. No one acts like how normal people would act. And yet that's what makes it oh yeah so thrilling and captivating. And it's movie stars being over-the-top characters. The sex scenes aren't realistic at all. They're complete fantasies, which is what makes them fun and yep. interesting to watch. Rich people, wild parties. I love it. Yeah, it's so far from the boring realistic mundane garbage that passes for entertainment now (laughs) (laughs) i'm just thinking about how over the last probably 20 years or so we've really seen the death of the great american cinema sex scenes they just don't have scenes like like they do in this movie yeah and i get it for far too long every sex scene every sexual thing in a movie was shown from the male gaze i understand that And we should see things from the female gaze. We should see things from the more realistic approach, too. But I don't understand why that means it has to be the death of these fantasy aspirational sex scenes like Basic Instinct, which are exciting and fun to watch, even if we all know that you're never going to have an experience like they do with Sharon Stone. I would add empowering for women in this movie. Certainly, there's a way to view this film under a feminist lens. I think kind Catherine of. Martell is a strong character. Tremel. Tremel. And it's very unlike most female roles you would see in movies like this. Yeah, I think so. Now, I guess you get kind of both sides of it because there's definitely not a great portrayal of what's going on with Beth at certain times. Sure, yeah. I think if this movie came out today, there'd be a lot to say about the sex scene between Beth and Nick. Yeah. And that's one of the things that you see in the director's cut, which is now the more readily available version that was definitely toned down in the original theatrical version. Okay. It's way more rapey now. Yeah. And she's an interesting character. It's hard to get a read on (laughs) what the deal is. Yeah, because even by the end of the movie with Beth, you're like, I'm not really sure what was ever going on with her. Oh, I certainly have a lot (laughs) of questions. I think this is one of those movies that when I have time away from it, I think I know what it's about and everything that happens in it and then you watch it and you're like there are a shitload of details that they throw at you in this yeah and i do think intentionally at the end there's enough mystery where you don't really know the full story you get the basics especially with the last shot of the film yeah yeah you understand a certain amount of it but even knowing that you don't necessarily know all the details i mean it seems well, like any tr- number of possibilities right. could have happened. If you try happened. to put it together, it's like, I don't know if this quite fits. Okay. So let's start from the beginning. Let's jump in. The movie takes place in San, San Francisco. Francisco. The opening scene of the movie is one of the more sexually explicit and graphically violent scenes of the entire <laughs> sure, film. Yeah. It basically is the brutal murder of a retired rock star named Johnny Boz, an older guy. Johnny Boz seems like he's living a pretty good life here. Yes. Right? I mean, just having a wild time in the wee hours of the night. Yeah, the opening scene is a shot of a mirror that's above a bed. A blonde woman, you can't really ever see her face. Her face is obscured by the hair, is on top having sex with Johnny Buzz. A couple people rocking the mirror above the bed move in this movie. Uh, Not for me. Yeah, I'd always be afraid it would fall on me. Well, yeah, (laughs) you know. How is that secured to the ceiling? I spend a lot of time trying to avoid looking at myself in the mirror. (laughs) Yeah, you don't ever really hear too much about the mirror on the ceiling these days. Yeah. 
That definitely was a much bigger thing in days past. Right. I don't know why. I mean, I get it. You look up and you see all different angles. It's like you're in your own porno. It's definitely a creep thing. But yeah, but you're probably spending like a lot more nights not having sex and you're just like looking up at yourself. <laughs> I mean, that sounds terrible. I would say that the mirror on the ceiling thing had permeated the culture to the point where you might have friends on your street whose parents had a mirror on their ceiling and yeah. you didn't really think much of it when you were a little kid You're probably and like over a waterbed too. looking back you, yeah. you were like holy shit they were freaks right <laughs> <laughs> but it was that thing where even parents would have it it wasn't just like oh yeah your weird perverts that worked at a sex store or something right. it, it was a big thing yeah that is weird to think about the blonde woman ties johnny's hands to the bed she proceeds to graphically murder him with an ice pick. Yeah, multiple stabs. Just here. stabbed right through the nose at one point, Oy. just right to the face. I did a freeze frame analysis to yeah, see if I could determine. shot here to not reveal to us who the woman is, right? Yeah, I wanted to see if if you could get a good look at the face. We'll circle back to this later. I feel like it's pretty clear whose body this is. I would agree with that. I think. Although from the shots that we get later in the movie, there was definitely a time where I thought that maybe they had used someone different just for this scene, just to throw it off sure, a little yeah. bit. I can get that. But the frame by frame analysis that I did, you were like, <laughs> which I do for all nude scenes right. and all, on all my Blu-rays, <laughs> I think I was able to determine the identity here. Good, good work. So the homicide department is investigating we meet homicide detective nick curran played by michael douglas he's investigating this is the scene where we learn johnny boss's identity that he's this retired rock star he left his club around midnight with his girlfriend and this was the last time anybody saw him and this is part of it right a little bit not a lot of women in the police force it's got the silence of the lambs vibe without clarice yeah i do wonder if that's intentional i think so for for the sake of future scenes. Right. But at the same time, it was 1992, and this is Paul Verhoeven and Joe Esterhaus. I don't know. I mean... True. <laughs> there's also a chance that they just didn't think that women would be a part of the police department. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> they, like, run the blacklight over the bed, and there's cum stains everywhere. I mean, this is just, like, a humiliating yeah. scene for Johnny Boz, because he's completely no, nude. Over, Everyone's right? just looking at his dick. <laughs> <laughs> there's cum everywhere. Well, at least it wasn't autoerotic asphyxiation <laughs> type situation. This would literally be a potential future for me. Yeah. Except there would have never been a if, woman. Yeah, I was going to say, would have just been if the you were cum dating stains. with a woman like this, I think you would have been fine with this ending. <laughs> Immediately from the get-go, there's this pressure from the mayor's office to solve this without any fuck-ups. Johnny Boz was a major contributor to the mayor's campaign, I guess. It just adds this whole almost unnecessary wrinkle of sure, added guy. pressure onto Nick Curran. And yeah, and this guy, it's like it's hard to figure out this captain, like his whole deal. I mean, we know that he <laughs> wants this taken care of because this ex-rock star partier dude was like a contributor to the mayor's campaign. <laughs> yeah, it seems like insane. just a throwaway right. detail. You're just like, okay. <laughs> Nick's partner is Gus played by George DeZunza. He brings some color to the movie. A lot yeah. of fun. The only ever thing from I really recognized him from was The Deer Hunter. Yeah, I don't know that I know him from much, but he's great in this. Following up on the only information that they have, they want to go see Johnny Boz's girlfriend. That would be Catherine Tremell, played by Sharon Stone. Before we even meet her, I think we've touched on it a little bit, the performance here. 
it's so crucial to making this movie work that you almost take it for granted because it's just such a iconic performance. Everyone knows Sharon Stone is the woman from this movie. She has this, I don't know, almost magnetic quality to her performance where you're just hanging on every word she says. She plays somehow simultaneously like uber sexual but also sociopathic where she almost seems like a robot sometimes. And there's something about, I mean, some of her lines are completely ridiculous and laughable at times, but I am buying it. Yeah, you buy buy everything. Yeah, I buy this performance the whole time. Yeah, obviously, the whole movie, there's a certain amount of winking to the camera. Like I said, nobody in this movie talks like how people would talk. No one acts like how they would act, and that's what makes it fun. You're watching this very heightened version of something with attractive, rich people, where it seems almost irrelevant that there's a murder at the center of the movie. Unlike our lives. Right. And that's what movies should be, in a way. I mean, why would you want to go watch yourself? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You wouldn't. (laughs) But typically, in a movie like this, something that is almost like a a modern noir, bordering almost on police procedural at times, you would never think that the female lead would be that crucial to making the movie work. And if they had cast a Kim Basinger or a Julia Roberts, no offense to those people, because they're good at what they do, but they would not be able to pull this off like she does. I just love the idea of Julia Roberts. America's sweetheart. (laughs) There were more names to that, too. Yeah. I don't remember off the top of my head, but it seems almost impossible to imagine anyone else. Julia sure. Roberts is the most insane, obviously, <laughs> but yeah. I just don't think anyone has that same personality that Sharon Stone has. Right. She's almost like underrated in modern times. I'm trying to think of like what that would be now, like the idea of Julia Roberts being in it. Like if they were making Basic Instinct. It'd be like Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, or, or like five years ago, they're like Jennifer Lawrence, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I would buy Jennifer Lawrence over Reese Witherspoon, though. Sure, okay. Yeah. I'm thinking like Jennifer Lawrence. Brie Larson. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so they go to see Catherine, but first they stop at her actual house. It's like this insane mansion. She's not there. They meet Roxy, played by Leilani Sorrell. Hmm. Do we know Roxy from other motion pictures? No, I don't. Yes, me neither. She's like one of those great secondary chicks from the 90s like the girl that plays lucy in bram stoker's dracula true (laughs) who i always come back to as like Uh, a personal favorite yeah roxy kind of a badass obviously like her name is cool she's often wearing like leather jackets has her hair up a lot yeah they try to butch her up in the way that she's still men thought that lesbians should look in the early 90s (laughs) which is smoking hot long hair could beat the shit out of very feminine but just Wore like black jeans, yeah, and a leather jacket, right. <laughs> <laughs> like Tori from yes, Say by the Bell. Exactly. <laughs> so she says that Catherine's not at the house, and she sends them to the beach house, which is another insane mansion. Sure. This time so, it's Oceanside. I mean, I'm glad that they address this a little bit that she has an insane net worth because of this like huge inheritance. Because if you're going off of her author career, I mean, we're in San Francisco, which is probably the most expensive city to live in in america and she has a mansion and then she has like this beautiful beach house on highway one it looks like it's like by big sur on the ocean several high value sports sports cars cars. in front what level of author would you have to be to be able to afford all this james patterson (laughs) 
Yeah, you'd think that they would be more familiar with I her mean, books. I, I'm not getting the sense that these books are that popular. Yeah, it's never really clear how successful she is as a writer. I mean, her her book, the one that is based off of the retired rock star, is in like that mass paperback style, which yeah. means it probably did pretty well. Okay. But I don't know if that means two mansions and right. everything else. <laughs> yeah, in one of the most expensive places to live. So we finally meet Catherine. This initial meeting is just off the charts entertaining. She's calling their bluffs. She's cool as ice. She looks incredible. She knows all of the right things to say. Not She's sharp pops, as attack. Certainly, yeah. And Nick and Gus just can't stop shooting each other looks. Gazing at each other. Everything she says. Will be a recurring the theme. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> a lot of like, can you believe yeah. this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't really like play things close to the vest. Like they certainly give away their thoughts. Oh yeah. You know? <laughs> we find out that Nick has a somewhat dark past. We don't get the details quite this early, but we know <laughs> but that he is... has to go to mandatory counseling. Yeah, continuously revealed throughout the movie his dark past. But yeah. it is strange. Everyone on the police force knows his psychiatrist schedule or whatever, his therapist. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, and we find out that they have a relationship. Everyone knows about that. Him meeting with Dr. Beth Garner, played by Gene Triplehorn, is the first indication of Nick's troubled past. Well, at the first crime scene, his boss or whatever is like, make your three. Right. But uh, you don't know what that means right. until it well, actually this is happens. Where we find out. And so they can't even talk for like five seconds without alluding to their romantic past. She's asking him if he's been drinking, if he's still on Coke. <laughs> and he's like, I, no, no, I even stopped smoking. And he just wants her to give the approval to IA to get off his ass. So obviously something happened, internal affairs is involved. And we're also like, Jesus, what's up with this dude? Yeah. But coke. He, I mean, she acts pretty surprised that he's not doing coke anymore. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, really? <laughs> you! <laughs> but as he's leaving, she's like, I still miss you, Nick. Oh, yeah. I love Dr. Beth. And sure. Gene Triplehorn, I mean, please, be my wife Obviously immediately. Obviously unprofessional, though. But yeah, it's just like so embarrassing. Insanely inappropriate. <laughs> She doesn't even put up a front at all about, yeah. like, what is going on with her. <laughs> I know. I love that. Is his therapist or whatever for the police department, they date, which is obviously inappropriate, but then she continues to be the therapist after. Right. Which, insane. But not the most insane thing about Nick's career, really, which, again, we continue to find out throughout the movie. I, I mean, this guy... Should have been fired from being a police officer. He should be in prison. Countless times. Oh, yeah. We'll, well, we'll get to that. Hanging over the entire movie, which it's almost like something that as the movie goes on, you forget about, is the murder of Johnny Boz. That's what has launched this whole thing. Yep. And yet, for large parts of the movie, you don't even care about that. It's like, who even remembers? <laughs> I do love this fucking homicide department, though. It's like they never arrest anyone. Yeah. Essentially, they don't have any leads besides Catherine. Yeah. So they're doing a little bit of recognizance on her. They find out her parents died in a boating accident. Her estimated assets are $110 million. She was formerly engaged to Manny Vasquez. This is no boating accident. A boxer who died in the ring. And the kicker, like the big thing, which we've alluded to a little bit already, is that she wrote a novel under a pen name about a retired rock and roll star murdered by his girlfriend. It's exactly the same way, yep. exactly the same story. 
it seems like that would be reasonable cause enough. I think so. To bring her in for and questioning. But they're still like, no, we can't. <laughs> well, it's not even just that. I mean, they reveal and she admits to on the first visit, she was the last person with him. Right. They left the club together. Yes. I mean, to me, I'm like, this is a preponderance of evidence. Right. It's all circumstantial, but it's like, clearly they have a direction to go in. Sure. Because based off of the superficial evidence from a crime scene, they could probably reasonably assume he was murdered by a woman right. that he was having sex with. She's his girlfriend. In fact, she's not really even his girlfriend. She's just saying that she fucks him. Mm-hmm. It's open and shut, really. And yet, throughout the opening portion of the film, a lot of the people in the police department are like, well, she doesn't have a motive. She doesn't have a motive. It's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> They're acting as if it's more likely that some stranger would come in off the street and murder right. him than someone that he knows, which is usually who murders people. They're acting like they've never investigated a murder before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, another thing with Dr. Beth, I mean, there's multiple times throughout the movies where she's bringing in, like, other psychiatrists or therapists, like, get in the mix for, like, right various opinions. <laughs> yeah, well, she's basically the lady that Bradley Cooper talks to in The Place Beyond the Pines. Oh, yeah. She's not, like, a psychiatrist that's involved in, like, investigations, I guess. Right, right. She's just talking to, like, fucked up cops. Yeah. So she brings in this psych team, and it's led by this familiar face, if you've seen the movie Groundhog Day. Oh, yeah. Needle Nose Ned, Ned the Head, <laughs> Ned Ryerson. <laughs> Ned Ryerson. And he's like, guys, there's really only two possibilities. The person who wrote the book is the murderer, or someone wants to harm the writer and reenacted the crime to incriminate her. And Which, it, let's think about this. The police are like, no new information here. Right. What do you mean someone wants to hurt her? If they're willing to go all the way through with murdering this guy, it's like, why wouldn't they just murder her? Sure. They want her to go to prison for life for murder rather than just murdering her? That's if you're right. willing to take a life, <laughs> why wouldn't you just take hers then? Although this group of cops, not really taking much out of this. You know what I mean? They don't stop and say, so it has to be her then. Right. They're insane. They just don't want to do anything. The DA office... It's just cowering in fear of her and her money. <laughs> she has enough money to take this whole police department down. What does that mean? I know. <laughs> but we get to meet Newman, who plays sure. Corelli. He's like an assistant DA. Always fun. When Newman, Newman from Seinfeld, yeah, by the way. Sure. Nick, he predicts Catherine won't bring a lawyer if they question her. Right. He's just like, she's not going to do and it. And again, the gazes continue between all the police officers. Yeah. I would say that Nick never really helps his own case when looking suspicious to his fellow police <laughs> True, officers. Yeah. He always is just saying shit where you're just like, oh, my God. And then, of course, they bring Catherine in and she just embarrasses him even further right. by talking to him directly. Well, so definitely, okay, much. so the movie's introducing this idea that Nick understands Catherine in a way that others don't. Yes. There's a connection. Yeah, I definitely think that part of the subtext of the film is the truth about Nick, which is... He's done a lot of fucked up shit and doesn't seem to be that bothered by it. <laughs> yeah. So it's possible that, yes, he is very similar to her. They go get Catherine. They go back to her seaside villa. She mostly just acts like amused by the whole process. She's right. just like, okay, let me go change. They're like, all right. They go inside her house. On a table, there's a newspaper with the headline, Cop Cleared in Tourist Shooting. Grand jury says shooting accidental. Nick unfolds the paper, revealing a picture of himself, alerting the audience as to who the story is about. 
we start to get a window into what sure. has been going on with Nick in his past. A lot of accidental shooting of tourists by undercover cops. Yeah, in fact, if you don't really pay super close attention, you never even notice that it's more than one incident. Oh, sure. Right. Eventually, that gets revealed. For most of the movie, though, you think like, oh, something bad happened one time. Right. And then all of a sudden, I, it's I will like, say, when they reveal how many times it really is, they kind of blow past it, yeah, too. Yeah, it's something insane where you're just like, they don't, <laughs> it almost would be better if they just took that line <laughs> out. <laughs> it's too crazy. Yeah. As Catherine changes in her room, she calls out to Nick and Gus, questioning how long this will all take, thus ensuring she has Nick's attention. He oh, yeah. looks up to see Catherine's nude reflection in a mirror as she changes. Looking good here, I have to say. Oh, God, yeah. Right? Okay. Right. I mean, just unbelievable. Yeah. She slips on a white dress, not even, like, the thought of underwear going on here. (laughs) Just so casual about it. It's just awesome in every sense. Just the gratuitousness of this nudity is just great. I mean, you settle in, you fire that Blu-ray up, and you just get comfortable. She's getting those claws into Nick with this move, too. Oh, yeah. That's the thing. I really believe that there's a certain power to this character that people would superficially miss, especially in a very knee-jerk reactionary culture that we live in now. I think that she's using all weapons at her disposal. All of her arsenal is at use, and that includes her body and her sexuality. Now, I understand that she's supposed to be like a psychopath that doesn't really have normal human emotions, so you can't (laughs) hold this standard to everybody, male or female. You can't just be like, well, you should be comfortable doing all of this stuff. But in a world dominated by men, which is very much this movie and very much this police department, she's able to hold her own. Oh, yeah. More so than hold her own. I mean, she's like backing these dudes up a bit. They don't know what to do. They tell her that she has the right to an attorney. She says, why would I need an attorney? Proving Nick right. Right. The car ride over is also tremendous. I love this scene. But I will say, like, they're driving down Highway 1, and I was out there recently, and it's just so terrifying. I mean, it's on, like, the edge of the world, it seems like. You look at these <laughs> corners. and the- Lindsay and I, when we ran the race out there, we had to take, like, a bus to, like, the starting line. And you're just, like, elevated, and you're, like, looking over the road. Yeah. It just it seems crazy. I'm I'm like I don't know how there's not more accidents here, especially when we get to this scene later on the car where chase. Nick is like chasing the other in the mo- yeah. There's actually a couple of insane car chases in this movie. But they're driving down Highway 1 and again we have Nick and Gus just like asking all these questions and every answer she has is like a a look back and forth between Nick and Gus. She's just toying with them, especially oh, yeah. Nick. She's so calm, ice cold. And once you fully embrace basic instinct and just are in for the ride, there's oh, right. this dark humor to all of this. It's so funny and just a pleasure to watch and enjoy. Just everything she says is so funny and quick. There's no pausing. She just knows what to say. Oh, yeah. She is lightning quick. Every time they come back at her with something, she's on top of it. There's this fearlessness to her that is probably the root of why Nick and Gus can't stop looking at each other. They've probably never (laughs) encountered anyone like this ever, because who has? Yeah, and there's definitely something where it does take Nick and Gus and all the other police officers back a bit, like how many times she's like referring to just fucking 
Johnny Boz. Right. You know, and how cold it was and emotionless, but like she was just having fun. Right. Like they can't handle that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. We'll get, yeah. I want to get into that in the oh, interrogation sure. okay. scene because I think there's some interesting things there. This is kind of the first part, though, where she's really taking the toying with Nick to, like, the next level. Right. As far as, like... The cigarettes Offering him cigarettes. He's like, I, I quit smoking. And then she, like, offers him again two seconds later. It won't last, you know? Right. An example of, like, something she would say that throws them for a loop is she talks about writing these books, and she's like, it teaches you to lie. <laughs> right. And okay. it just lets that hang there. Yeah. And they're just like, what? Like, the balls to say the things that she says she's basically like yes my former rock star boyfriend got murdered in the same way that the former rock star boyfriend got murdered in my book and i wrote this book and being a writer teaches you to lie what do you think about that and they're just like what (laughs) and she tells them about her next book it's about a cop who falls in love with the wrong woman and nick says what happens to him and she says she kills him (laughs) and she just lets that hang there yeah I do love it, because you, if you were those cops, you'd just be like, okay, all we can do is look at each other, <laughs> suspiciously. Okay. I like that. Suspension of disbelief. So finally, we get to the interrogation scene itself, which is the most famous scene from the movie by yeah. far. For one thing in particular, although I will say this scene is great beyond that. It's crazy, because you would never think that I would ever say anything like this, Yeah. but it would almost be better if they didn't have the beaver shot in this scene because it overshadows right. so much what is such a fun great scene outside of that but at the same time i think that the notoriety of that scene is what made this movie such a phenomenon sure. which now it's like if some actress did this scene people would be horrified and be like i can't believe how ex- <laughs> exploitative it is, it is crazy i do find it sort of non-sexual though i almost think like this movie caught on and got huge for the same reason that like out of nowhere, out of all of like the BDSM right. erotica that's out there, Fifty Shades of Grey just becomes a bestseller. And you're just like, well, why this? Yeah. Why now? It's just like, for whatever reason, certain things capture the zeitgeist. And you know that like 45-year-old parents were like sneaking off to the movies and enjoying this. And oh, yeah. their day-to-day lives were like these normal, straight, square, conservative lives. And then they're like seeing Sharon Stone's vagina on the big screen <laughs> in a room filled with other people. And it just was a thing. Now, I certainly have a history with this movie. I own the DVD, watched it several times. <laughs> Had a certain appreciation for a lot of scenes and Sharon Stone scenes in particular in this movie. Right. I mean, it's not like this famous shot from this movie really got me going or anything. You know, like I, there was certainly a lot of other Sharon Stone scenes that I was like way more into than this. I think the attraction to it is probably the rarity of sure, that scene. Right. Because full frontal nudity usually was like pubic hair. And it, a lot of times it was actually like a merkin. Okay, yeah. So it wasn't even full frontal nudity. It was right. it was almost just like hair panties that they were wearing. You know, something like yeah. that. And so this is like... There's definitely a shock value to it. Yeah, this is like insane because it's so unlike what normal movies would have in them. It's just like a... Str- I mean, there's no way to say it. I mean, it's a straight up vagina shot and, there's and you're just like whoa the actual action her actually doing it it's so blatant 
you know. Okay, but that doesn't happen right away. Right, so right. the okay. setup of the scene is insane. It's it's taking place in a room that almost looks like they use for police lineups yeah, yeah, or like even like target suspects. practice yeah. or something. I'm like, what is is this a multi-purpose yeah, yeah. room? What is this? And it's five men surrounding one woman just sitting alone they're all at desks and they have notepads and all this shit and she's just alone on a chair i mean usually it's two detectives interrogating someone but i mean they saw Catherine Tremell walk in the door and they were like you know what i think i gotta get in on this (laughs) yeah everyone's like getting in on we're gonna have to move this to the big room get a couple of desks in there and the reason why you could view this as some sort of a feminist statement especially this scene of all scenes which you would never think is Mm -hmm. Catherine is never close to being overpowered by oh, these no. men in oh, suits. Oh, no. She taunts them. She makes fools of them. <laughs> She's using their own feelings of lust against them, preying on their insecurities. Right. Yes, they're all men. Yes, they have these high-power jobs. They have power because of their jobs and their positions. And yet, it's like one-on-one in this confrontation who are you taking newman or fucking Catherine tramell it's yeah. like she's CT eating him alive yeah <laughs> she's fearless and they don't know what to do they don't know what to make of her she starts smoking they're like there's no smoking in here she's like what are you gonna do charge me with smoking they right. have no answer to this great point they're certainly not going to and there's a grossness to these men that gets exposed because they fixate on these sexual questions oh yeah Granted, Johnny Boss died during a sexual act, but I would think that if you're actually investigating the murder of Johnny Boss, the sexual questions would just be a part of it. Right. There could be a lot of other questions that could give you information about their relationship, about what she was doing, she's about perfect. any potential alibi, yet all of the questions uh, are sexual. Right. But she's perfect. She so carelessly handles each one. And even fires back at them in a way that they're not ready to take it. When Newman's like, did you ever engage in any sadomasochistic activity or whatever? She's like, like, what'd you have in mind? Yeah. (laughs) I love that. You ever tie him up? No. Nick, immediately. You never tied him up. (laughs) Not buying it for a second. Would you tell us the nature of your relationship with Mr. Boz? I had sex with him for about a year and a half. I liked having sex with him. He wasn't afraid of experimenting. I like men like that. Men who give me pleasure. He gave me a lot of pleasure. You ever uh, engage in any sadomasochistic activity? Exactly what did you have in mind, Mr. Corelli? You ever tie him up? No. You never tied him up? No. Johnny liked to use his hands too much. I like hands and fingers. You describe a uh, white silk scarf in your book. I've always had a fondness for white silk scarves. They're good for all occasions. But you said you like men to use their hands, didn't you? No, I said I like Johnny to use his hands. I don't make any rules, Nick. I go with the flow. Did you kill Mr. Boz, Mr. Tramell? I'd have to be pretty stupid to write a book about killing and then kill somebody the way I described it in my book. I'd be announcing myself as the killer. I'm not stupid. We know you're not stupid, Mr. Tramell. Maybe that's what you're counting on to get you off the hook. Writing the book gives you an alibi. Yes, it does, doesn't it? But the answer is no. 
I didn't kill him. Do you use drugs, Mr. Mill? Sometimes. You ever use drugs with Mr. Boss? Sure. What kind of drugs? Cocaine. Have you ever fucked on cocaine, Nick? Nice. You like playing games, don't you? I have a degree in psychology. It goes with the turf. Games are fun. What about boxing? That's a game. Is that fun, too? I don't think that's relevant to this inquiry. Boxing was fun till Manny died. How'd you feel when he died? I loved him. It hurt. How'd you feel when I told you Johnny Boz had died? I felt like someone had read my book and was playing a game. But it didn't hurt. No. Because you didn't love him. That's right. Even though you were fucking him. You still get the pleasure. Didn't you ever fuck anybody else when you were married, Nick? How'd you know he was married? Maybe I was just guessing. What difference does it make? Do you like a cigarette, Nick? You two know each other? No. No. How'd you meet Mr. Bias? I wanted to write a book about the murder of a retired rock and roll star. I went down to his club, I picked him up, and I had sex with him. You didn't feel anything for him, you just had sex with him for your book. In the beginning. Then I got to like what he did for me. That's pretty cold, ain't it, lady? I'm a writer. I use people for what I write. Let the world beware. You want me to take a lie detector test? She gives very direct answers to all of these very sexual questions. They ask her about drugs. She says that she and Johnny Boz would do cocaine, and then she immediately turns it on Nick. Have you ever fucked on cocaine, Nick? And everyone in the room just turns to look at Nick as if his answer means something. (laughs) She just flips the whole interrogation onto him somehow, and they're just like, well, what is the answer? Well, I think they all know that he has. (laughs) And right then is when she uncrosses her legs. Depending on your point of view, this is either an infamous scene or a famous scene. Okay. A little bit of both, probably. It's certainly very explicit for mainstream Hollywood. Sure. And just like the Phoebe Kate scene in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, I think the VHS tracking here was always fucked (laughs) up. I remember being at a friend's house and seeing this scene before I'd ever seen the movie. I remember a bunch of us watching it. It was just such a forbidden, taboo thing to be in a regular movie. Right. Just like... Porkies or whatever. This would be a VHS that somebody's dad would have. Weirdly enough, the first time I ever saw this movie on TV, so there was a lot of notable scenes cut out. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is like, I think the way they do it in this is like, it happens, but it's like so cut, you're just seeing like the dude's reactions. (laughs) Which is almost funnier. (laughs) Yeah, the actual vagina shot is almost, it's like split into two. It's like she first does it, uncrossed her legs, cut to Wayne Knight's sweaty fat face (laughs) then right back between her legs obviously this is a huge scene like i said i think 
it would almost be better if this scene wasn't in it. Although I get the power of it and I get oh, yeah. why it was such a big deal and probably why it helped it be such a big movie for yeah. whatever reason. But in a weird way, it does overshadow it, everything it, else. It kind of takes you out of the tempo of the scene. Like it's kind of like moving along at this pace with like this quick back and forth and how she's like handling every question with ease. And then it just kind of stops for a second and she does this. Yes. Now it does blow everyone away. Right. I will say that. Yeah, she's fully in control. She's using her body as a weapon against these people, these men, and they are frankly helpless. They just don't even know what to do. Wouldn't you be? Yeah, and I'm not even there. I'm just watching it (laughs) on a Blu-ray and I'm helpless. Right. (laughs) This movie is obviously not without plenty of controversy There was a lot of controversy over the gratuitous sex, nudity, and violence. They had to make those cuts to get it to be R-rated. As I said, the director's cut is the more known version now because that's what's been released so many times on DVD and Blu-ray. However, the shot of Sharon Stone's vagina here is not the most controversial thing. It was, as I was explaining to you, the gay and lesbian protesters not appreciating another bisexual character being portrayed as this psychopathic murderer and that seems crazy now it does i can't even really imagine that happening in the 90s but i I guess i get it yeah i think in retrospect if you were getting into the why that protest was happening was because there were so few portrayals of gay lesbian bisexual characters on screen which is kind of a win but then they're like an evil yeah i think there was a tendency that if there was a character like that in a main part yeah something wrong with them or whatever although to be fair not a lot of good characters in this movie that's almost exactly what roger ebert said right (laughs) he was like i would point to the fact that the heterosexual characters are just as terrible yeah if not significantly worse So the reason I bring that up is there was only your typical pearl-clutching controversy around the vagina scene. You know, conservative people or religious people or whatever. Your typical people that wouldn't want sex to be in the movie at all anyway. Cut two years down the road, and Sharon Stone herself had some things to say about it. I'm just going to read what they have on Wikipedia, which sums it up. Quote, in the scene in which Stone's vulva was exposed on camera as she crossed her legs. Stone believed that the character not wearing underwear would only be alluded to and not shown. She had been wearing white underwear until Verhoeven said they reflected light on the camera lens and asked her to take them off, assuring her that only shadow would be visible. It was not until Stone saw the film in a screening room with a test audience that she became aware of it leading her to slap Verhoeven in the face and leave the screening. Wow. However, Verhoeven strongly denied her claim and said she was fully aware in advance that her vulva would be filmed. Yeah. <laughs> I do love that they keep calling it I was going to say, vulva. interesting use of the word vulva. <laughs> yeah. So, who knows what the truth of it is. My only thing I could say is it seems crazy that she wouldn't know, but well, I guess the thing that Me Too and all this stuff has taught us that anything's believable. Sure, and I don't want to question it, but it does feel like it's it would have been written into the script almost because of the fact that they hone in on the. I mean, they're making it a point that she's not wearing underwear when Nick is taking a look here. Yeah, at the house. But I mean, obviously, if that was her experience, that is really fucked up. Yeah, and I think 
one thing that people are afraid to say these days is I don't know. And of course we don't know. Sure. We say we weren't there. And I will say we often say on this show, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> people always are quick to take sides. Now people are just panicked about admitting that they don't actually know anything. And even though that's pretty much always the case. And we're certainly comfortable with saying that. <laughs> I mean, almost every conversation ends with unclear or I don't know. <laughs> Catherine volunteers to take a lie detector test, which she passes. Nick can't believe this, just says that she's lying and she beat the test. And they're like, what? And he's like, I know people who have done it. <laughs> and they're like, I, you well, mean like you? No people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The implication obviously is that he beat a test. Right. She wants a ride home. Nick volunteers. He's already pretty clearly under her spell, even though he's the only one pushing that she's still guilty yeah, after yeah. the lie detector right. test, which is an interesting commentary on his character that he can be falling under her spell, getting yeah. wrapped up in the whole Catherine Chamel world, right. yet is still like, yeah, but she's the murderer. Well, though. we kind of have like a Thomas Crown affair type relationship here. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Where the investigation is still going on, but at what point is the person just all in on trying to be with right. know, the other? It's like Batman and Catwoman. Right. Catherine is basically bragging on the way back. Just like, if I was lying, I could definitely pass that test. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, just throwing in the face. Almost like O.J. Simpson writing, if I did it. Right. You know, that book. <laughs> yeah. It's just like right in his face. And she also reveals that she knows a lot about Nick's past in this drive home oh yeah nick goes to this bar where the cops go immediately off the wagon upon entering the bar <laughs> just ordering a glass of whiskey double yeah marty nielsen is but, there from internal affairs oh yeah this is where we first meet nielsen he's got a odd obsession with nick he calls nick shooter it's kroger from seinfeld who was george's boss for yeah. a couple episodes pretty familiar guy who's Always been around. I'd say so. Internal Affairs, a heavy part of this police department. Yeah, they Internal Affairs seemingly has more officers than the regular police right. department. <laughs> just an enormous Internal Affairs division. Yeah, I, I was just thinking like... And they're obsessed with Nick. Oh, yeah. But I was thinking like if I worked in Internal Affairs, I, I would just be like, this is the greatest job. I'm never going to investigate anybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, do you think they have a quota on how many of their own cops they like bring down? Well, they're always usually the least popular if we learn anything from other movies and that shows. That is true. What is all this Nick stuff? Nick, you want a cigarette? Nick, can I have a ride? She didn't ask me to give her a ride. She asked anybody. And you volunteered. Hey, Nick, get me on. Uh, no, Chucky, give me a double blackjack in the rocks, please. What you doing, Hoss? I haven't had a drink in three months. All right with you, cowboy? She doesn't know me, okay? There you go, Nick. I never seen her before uh, Gus and I talked with her. Thanks, Chuck. You're sure? Yes, I'm sure. Cheers. <laughs> now what? What now what? Now nothing. She passed the polygraph. That's it. She knew how to beat it. That's why she asked to take it. How in the fuck do you know? What is it with you and this broad, anyway? Oh, come on, Phil. Don't let this one slide. What about her parents? What about what else she published? Maybe all her books got a funny way of coming true. 
Her parents died in an accident. I don't give a shit what else she published. What are you all of a sudden, a book critic? How'd they die? Huh? Was there an investigation? Now you're saying she killed her parents? Did she kill Manny Vasquez, too? <laughs> Not unless she climbed into the ring and turned into one mean son of a bitch. <laughs> Maybe she did, Gus. Maybe she grew herself an afro, developed a hell of a left hook, and put shoe polish all over her face. Let's polygraph her again and ask her. Fuck you, <laughs> Fuck you, too, Nick. <laughs> Don't worry, Phil. Nick will fuck himself. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you guys are very funny. <laughs> hey, Jackie, get me another double, will you? Hey, shooter. Now, are you back on the blackjack? Shooter. We're discussing the case here, Marty. I know that. I have no doubts. Here you go, Nick. Oh, a double, huh, Shooter? Hmm? I'm off duty, Nielsen. You hear me? I'm off duty discussing the case. Now, IA shouldn't have a problem with that. Maybe I should put him for some overtime, huh? Don't work too hard, Shooter. Might drive you to drink. Stop riding me, man! I'll kick your fucking teeth hey. in! What's the problem? No problem, Doctor. But here comes a shrink. I'm just in time to save her favorite patient. Just fuck off, Marty! <laughs> you kids have a good time tonight, huh? <laughs> He's asking for it. That's right, so don't take the bait. You want to go? Yes. Sometimes I think he started banging her just to get off the hook with internal affairs. I oh, ain't that way. It's kind of hard. He almost gets into it, Nick does, with Marty Nielsen. But then Dr. Beth shows up. She gets in the middle of it. She yells at Nielsen, but then... Again, this psychiatrist, I mean, how quick would they pull her out of this position? I know. That's the thing. I mean, she's out, like, where all these other cops are, like, drinking and everything, and she's hanging out with them, visibly leaving the bar with Nick. They try to make Gene Triplehorn look older in this movie. I think she was in her late 20s, like 27, 28, which means she was 20 years younger than (laughs) Michael Douglas. As we often see. And it's very apparent watching this movie that she's considerably younger than all of these men it's very odd that they cast her right i love her in this movie i think she's great she holds her own in a movie that's completely insane and everyone's acting insane she just goes with it which is what you gotta do but even without looking up their ages on imdb i was like she feels out of place like she feels so, so much younger and i don't know her her air of authority seems phony at all times like like they could just be like patting her on the head saying that's nice (laughs) which maybe is the point and that that is kind of how they treat her one of the things i wanted to say about michael douglas in his performances nick i mean nick kern just a passionate man obviously we're heading towards a scene that is just completely insane but even before (laughs) that like he's just so into like everything he does Walking into that bar, like, the way that he's, like, loosening his tie and everything, it's just very vivacious, you know? Yeah, he's, like, living on the edge. Right. At all times. So, now he's all worked up. Nielsen's got under his skin. Both he and Beth leave the bar together. They go back to her apartment. 
again, publicly in front of the other cops where they're commenting on it. Yeah, everyone just knows that he's fucking her, which is just insane. (laughs) This scene is crazy. Again, another controversial scene. This movie just never shies away from going for it. Yeah. Sometimes I mean, I've said it so many times right. in this episode and in almost every movie we do that's older than 10 years, but yeah. this would not uh, another now. scene yeah. where people would be losing... There'd be 30 think pieces all over the internet about this yeah. scene in particular if and it was released today. We're at the point now where I don't even want to say this because of how bad it, it is, but it is one of those things where I'm like, is this supposed to be a rape? <laughs> <laughs> I can't... There's well, times where it seems like she's into it. That's why I can't yeah. make make a definitive ruling here. I think if there's a question at all, then you just have to go with that it is. And I'm good with that. But the way that the movie is portraying it is Especially, kind of Especially, yeah, I think I, I've never seen the R-rated version. Yeah. I've only ever seen the director's cut, so I don't know how that works. The intent of the scene, I guess, is more my question. Yeah, what were they going for? Right. I think the idea unfortunately is that they're going for more of just like he went a little too far yeah he was going for something that she wasn't into which is definitely line crossing for sure yeah because it kind of starts as a little bit of just rough sex yeah yeah where you're kind of like okay she seems pretty into it he's like ripping open her shirt and everything which is crazy too i mean he completely destroys her clothes (laughs) i mean if they went back to his apartment she would have been in real trouble even though he's like kind of violently ripping open her shirt and like grabbing her boobs pretty hard, I think everything's okay up he until destroys her outfit. He like forces her over to that chair and like bends her over the back of it, and she's saying no. Yeah, true. Okay. So right. I mean, at Definitely that point, we've yeah. we've hit a bad scene. Yes. And this but- was trimmed in the R-rated version, which makes sense because it's certainly not essential to the plot that true. this happens. <laughs> I mean, it makes him look like a lunatic, yeah. which, again, is probably, like, subtext for the movie. Again, but for the main this, story... It's him unraveling. He's drinking again. Right. Something's been unlocked in him. But the only reason I even bring up the rapes up is I do just feel like it's played so weird with her character and how she reacts to this and what she carries from this scene for the rest of the movie. It seems like nothing. Yeah. Where you would feel like this would be, like, a turning point for her. And she, yeah, and she isn't even really upset in the immediate aftermath. Yeah. It's she's almost after, like, like, talking yeah, a little bit. And she she's kind of like, you're not usually like that. Yeah. It's kind of like Which is, reaction. yeah, what I was saying. Like, they're yeah. playing this as almost like he just got a little too rough. Sure. Rather than she clearly said no, and then he keeps going, whatever. Right, right. If we're going to be, like, real crude about it, this would be the opportunity to refer back to the opening scene of the film i mean clearly yeah based on what happens later there's the whole question of who the person is in the opening and i think we can rule dr beth out gene Triplehorn. i mean you're not thinking the skin tone is is not the same her breasts don't look the same (laughs) if we're gonna be really into it (laughs) yeah (laughs) i just think i mean luckily we would not be crude on this show so Right. But if we were to be, that yeah. is the conversation we would have. We would go down a road there. Right. I just think you can rule It's not Dr. Gene Beth out. Triple horn. Yeah. After this sex scene though, Beth reveals she actually met Catherine while in college at Berkeley, which is her first revelation. It's almost like a series of revelations this to is, do with Catherine that go again, on throughout the movie. This is the first one. Like, oh, yeah, I knew her. We talk about Gus and suspension of disbelief. I mean, it's almost like this podcast could just be called suspension of disbelief, like the way we talk about things. But 
somehow the characters of this universe i mean these are san francisco a giant city the fact that nick's psychiatrist at the police department went to school with the prime suspect of this movie. yeah it just seems insane but yeah I'm, it should be like, a major red flag especially something's off here if you take like okay once we get to the end we can kind of explore all the people... different theories but <laughs> if you go down a certain theory road then clearly Catherine's connection to beth is paramount in all of sure. this and so you would think if you were a reasonable homicide detective right you would be instantly grilling her i mean he asked her a couple questions but he lets it go pretty quick oh yeah you often hear like on true crime shows or podcasts or whatever like police talk about this like not believing in coincidences type thing and it's like these police are just willing to take anything as like oh yeah that's not that weird eventually though she gets mad at nick and you i guess associate it with what happened even though she wasn't immediately mad i don't know her anger builds after the Catherine revelation well, it's almost and then like she's, she's like getting, get out of here she's getting jealous about Catherine like pretty early yeah before nick's even like yeah which should be almost another red flag that there's some right. weird connection between these two shortly after that more facts are being found out about Catherine and her whole history the police find out about a similar murder that happened to a professor back at berkeley okay yeah. while Catherine was a student at that time when you talk about how many deaths are associated with Catherine's life and Nick's life, yeah, a lot of murders being discussed in this movie. <laughs> Just stacking bodies. The guy in charge, I'm not really sure what rank he would be. Not that captain guy who was concerned about the mayor, but the other guy. The guy that just seems like Nick's kind of like direct boss. Right. Yeah. He's given like everybody assignments, and then he tells Nick to put his head in the cold bucket of water or something <laughs> and then he's like all right actually just follow her and see where she leads so nick waits outside her house until she leaves she instantly is driving like she knows someone's tailing her it sparks this dangerous chase sequence right. just through the curved hills again highway one where like it seems like could easily drive off the cliff to instant death yeah, they're just, it's two lanes at one point, and he's they're just passing cutting cars. into the oncoming lane. Right. <laughs> passing, like, tractor trailers. She's driving, like, that Lotus Spirit, which looks like a Ferrari. I'm not really sure. I'm not super familiar with them. But it's yeah, a sports car cars. that's super fast. Okay. And he's right. driving, like, that shitty brown <laughs> yeah. undercover car right. or whatever. Turns out that Catherine has driven to some small town. I will say, Nick's life doesn't make you aspire to be a cop. I mean, he's no. got like a shitty apartment, a shitty car. And a lot of baggage. Yeah. So Catherine's driven to this small town to visit a friend, this older lady named Hazel Dobkins. We don't know that yet, but yeah, that's who it is. Yeah, there's kind of a lot of background info on Hazel, and you're just like, do we really need this character in the movie? Yeah, I'm never really sure what's going on with the Hazel Dobkins stuff. This is stuff. what I don't get. There's a lot of stuff I don't between get, but Catherine, this is certainly one of them. Between Catherine, Hazel, and Roxy... There's all sorts of murders associated with the three of them, yet they're just women walking the streets. Eventually, Nick will learn that Hazel served time for murdering her husband and children, apparently for no reason. Yeah, was which it is a strange. Sentence? I, I don't. Yeah, it seemed like she only served like ten years or yeah. something. But Hazel won't be the only murderer spending time with Catherine that we learn about. He waits outside till she leaves. He follows her again back at Catherine's place. 
she strips down in front of a giant window, no blinds or curtains, with the lights on. <laughs> Feels like it's super intentional. I think so. For Nick's benefit. You just definitely have that feeling of a spider and a fly oh, <laughs> going yeah, on here. Right. I think Nick and the other police just have never dealt with someone on Catherine's level, so it's almost like they don't even get that a lot of what she does is so intentional. Uh-huh. They're I just wouldn't like, know what to do. Yeah. You were just saying you would hate to have this job, but I mean, <laughs> I don't know. He Maybe just followed a, he a, followed a hot woman around and right. then waited outside her house and then watched her get naked in a big window. Yeah, and then he's just like, all right, I'm leaving. Work. True. Yeah. <laughs> what a day. Yeah. It would be like a lot of stakeouts for me with just like a lot of pizza lot of donuts the next morning. Oh, yeah. Well, know? I mean, that's pretty much where I'm at already. Right. <laughs> Nick shows up at Catherine's house, and she just lets him in. He finds her house to be littered with news articles about him. She almost can't contain her giddiness as she sees him looking at those articles. There's a quick cut to True. her face, and she's certainly happy. I love the little moments in this movie that are almost like brief just fleeting moments right. of a window into her yes. and that's one of them real Where fast she kind here. of breaks right it's when stoic. she knows that no one's looking at her and you'll get these little glimpses of what is going on in her mind and she's clearly set these things out for him to find yeah, yeah. she knew he would be coming at some point and now he's looking at them he doesn't know what to think about this kind and of she's a- playing this game that's only really benefit is to entertain her do you think it's a bad sign for a cop to have this many newspaper articles written about him? Can't be good. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking, yeah. And she tells him that she's using him for her detective in her next book, which really shouldn't come as a surprise to the True. viewer, I guess, but probably rattles him a little bit. Well, yeah, we already know that that character's going to die in that book. He declines a drink. She's making drinks anyway. She uses a giant ice pick to break the ice for beverages. Just parading it out yeah, in front of him, right. just like Psycho- daring him to say something about it. Psychological warfare in full effect at this point. I'm using you for my detective in my book. You don't mind, do you? I was just going to make myself a drink. Do you want one? No, thanks. Oh, that's right. You're off the Jack Daniels, too, aren't you? I've got a uh, few more questions to ask you. I have some for you, too. For my book. Do you have something against ice cubes? <laughs> I like rough edges. So what do you want to ask? How's it feel to kill someone? You tell me. I don't know, but you do. It's an accident. I got a line of fire. Four shootings in five years? All accidents? You were drug buys. I was working undercover. You want to tell me about Professor Goldstein? Well, there's a name from the past. You want a name from the present? What about Hazel Dobkins? Noah Goldstein was my counselor my freshman year. 
That's probably where I got the idea for the ice pick for my book. Funny how the subconscious works. Hilarious. Hazel's my friend. Well, your friend took out her whole family. Yes, she helped me understand homicidal impulse. Thought you would have learned that at school. <laughs> Only in theory. But you know all about homicidal impulse, don't you, Shooter? Not in theory, in practice. What happened? Did you get sucked into it? Did you like it too much? I don't know what you're talking about. Tell me about the coke, Nick. The day you shot those two tours, how much coke did you do? Internal affairs knew. Your wife knew too, didn't she? She knew what was going on. I think you got too close to the flame. <gasps> Instead of him asking her questions, she grills him about the shootings in his past. He says that they're accidents, that they got in the line of fire. This is where she just says, four shootings in five years. A lot of accidents. What the fuck? How does this guy have a job still? Yeah, just an absurd amount of shootings. More than one. True. It would right. be just unfathomable. Yeah, you would think it would be like a Prespaluski situation from The Wire. But no, I mean, Nick is just like, you know, he's had some run-ins with internal affairs and they, he has to go see a psychiatrist that he started banging. But other than that, yeah, just goes on with life. He asked her about the professor from Berkeley who was murdered and he asked her about Hazel Dobkins. And she says that the professor was her counselor freshman year and that's where she probably got the idea of the ice pick for her book. She calls him Shooter, just like Nielsen from IA. Oh, boy. And any time that he might think that he's gaining the upper hand, she's really just taunting him. She's moving closer to him. She's talking in this breathy whisper. Right. She literally puts her face so close to his that their mouths are practically touching and she's still talking to him can you imagine this happening no but <laughs> it's a very fascinating scene oh, to watch. I agree. and clearly the struggle for nick is real <laughs> i think so <laughs> he's just yeah. like he doesn't know what to do right. it's probably taking all he can to not just give in and start kissing her and just taking it there yeah i don't know i think i would be like what the fuck is happening the thing that snaps him out of it, though, is that she references his wife, who committed suicide. Yeah, this is quite a reveal. Another throwaway oh, detail, just yeah. where you're like, what? They don't talk about this much. The party's broken up when Roxy walks in, and this is the first 
bisexual reveal, which we referenced earlier talking about the controversy surrounding this film. This is the first time that it's made abundantly clear that her and Roxy have something going on because they're yep. holding each other, they kiss, and then Nick leaves, and then they make out fully. Yep. And you're just like, Jesus, could this movie get any better? <laughs> <laughs> they're throwing lesbians into oh, the mix. Yeah. <laughs> Everything that Catherine's done has set Nick on a certain path oh, of yeah. just melting down. Right. He confronts Dr. Beth over access to his file because clearly Catherine just knows too much. Oh, yeah. She's pulling out all this information about his wife, about the people that he's killed. She knows things that weren't in the paper, basically. Who's got access to my file? What are you talking about, Nick? Who has access to my goddamn file? Nobody! It's a confidential psychiatric record. It would be illegal. Don't do it. Don't you fucking lie to me. It's internal affairs, no. wasn't it? No, Nick, please. Who? Nielsen. Dr. Beth says Nielsen had the file because she gave it to Nielsen in order to save Nick's job. Yeah, Nielsen was on a mission to get Nick fired. I guess if he was able to get the access to it, he would back off. I don't really get that either, but... This is the whole thing with Nielsen that, admittedly, even watching this movie now three and a half times over the last couple of weeks, I still don't fully understand start, Nielsen's role in at, all of this. At some point, they start throwing all of these Nielsen details at I you. I think the it, idea too much. is that Catherine got involved with Nielsen at some point, and the whole reason he Way wanted Nick's before. file yeah. was because of Catherine. And the whole reason Catherine wanted Nick's file, you could make the leap, is because yep. Nick was involved with Beth which is where all of this starts. Okay. Maybe. That's never confirmed, <laughs> right, yeah. but that's the only jump you can make is Either that Nielsen or- is connected to Catherine, who is putting the pressure on Nielsen to get this thing because Nick was involved with Beth, who is involved. You know, we haven't gotten to that part in the movie, yeah. but there's an involvement there with Catherine. Are you following along at home? That's like the only thing that makes sense, but even watching it a few times, I, I I still don't understand the Nielsen stuff fully. Sure. Obviously, it started long before we come into the movie, though. Yeah, pre-Johnny Boz. The yes. Johnny Boz thing almost seems separate. Like, that was just right. Catherine doing something else for fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because she's crazy. What do you want, Kern? You sold her my file, didn't you? Who are you talking about? Catherine Tremell. <laughs> How much did she pay you? Hey, come on! Come on! Stop it! How much? Come on! Come on! Hey! Back off! Back off, Kevin! Nice and easy now. Nice and easy. You fucked yourself, shooter. You hear me? You are out! Take it easy. You are out! You're out! Nick goes after Nielsen, assuming he sold the information to Catherine Tremell. He's, like, almost attacking him in his office. Yeah, we have another internal affairs agent, Skinner from the X-Files. Skinner from the X-Files shows up. A lot of TV actors from yeah. the 90s. In and this. at this point, Nielsen, I guess, is like, okay, this was the moment I've been waiting for. You're done, Curran. I'm going to get your badge for this. Yeah, that almost is... I guess it could be happening separately, but it's almost like contradictory to the theory the plan. of his whole interest right. in any of this to begin with. Who knows? And they make this seem like what would be a motivation for him to kill Nielsen, 
But does Nielsen need to be alive for him to get in trouble for attacking an internal affairs officer? <laughs> you know what I mean? Evidently, it's he does. Like, if Nielsen is out of the picture, no one else is going to pursue this. <laughs> They're like, what's the point? <laughs> Dr. Beth comes to see Nick at his apartment. She has a Bart Simpson keychain, Yeah, which was definitely an LOL for me. Does she seem like the person that would have a Bart Simpson keychain? Not to me, no. It's so wild to think that The Simpsons had been on the air for a few years before this movie came out, and it's still on the air now. That is strange. I know this is not a Simpsons-related podcast. We will probably never talk about The Simpsons on here. certainly a time-related podcast, though. Just, I don't even think it needs to be a time-related podcast. It's just, what other show has been on for that long? It's just crazy. It is. Because this movie came out in 92, but it feels older than that even. It feels like 80s to me. True. It just feels like from another time completely. And then to see a Bart Simpson keychain, and then you're like, that show had been on the air for a few years, and it's still on the air now, which is just insane. And there is something about the psychiatrist character that is just like, it does not feel like she has come to grips with being an adult (laughs) you know, appropriately behaving in her job function. They do a quick close-up of the Bart Simpson keychain because it will come into play a little bit yes. later. Nick wants her in to an leave. Insane way. Clearly she's feeling whatever they had a lot more than he is. He's just <laughs> not interested at all. Right. He is a dismissive ass towards her. Yeah, he acts like very shitty towards her and the other cops and stuff who know about their little romance are also very condescending about it almost like yeah well he's fucking her to get out of this shit and that that could be the only reason he would fuck her and it's such a mercy fuck it's like what the fuck are they talking about she is like hot as fuck (laughs) and she's like 20 years younger than him she's a total babe she's a super and a doctor yeah i mean she basically puts her career on the line constantly to make sure that nick can stay a cop which really isn't good for anyone if they want to make nick a bag of shit like i get it which but just to have the other cops almost acting like it's a pity fuck like what are they talking about yeah they should be killed (laughs) she turned over nick's file to nielsen under threat of nielsen recommending nick's discharge from the force but he's just like fuck it recommend a firing nick falls asleep with the tv on after beth leaves Did you recognize the movie that was playing while he slept? This is a hard one, When the phone rang to wake him up. At least I don't recall. Hellraiser, a movie we did on this podcast. Yeah, nice. That demon thing was chasing the cursedy girl down the hall. Uncle (laughs) Frank. So he's awakened by a phone call just to find out that Nielsen's been murdered. This is interesting. So do these cops call him down as a suspect, basically? It's presented in a way that he's being called to a crime scene because he's a homicide detective. I almost feel like that was Gus yeah. doing him a favor because okay. almost everyone else just it's assumes like, that Nick did it. Yes. <laughs> Which is crazy that you would have a guy on your force that you immediately just assume is a murderer. <laughs> it's like, well, maybe this guy shouldn't be a, a cop then. Well, that's definitely a question that you would think would keep coming up. Nick goes through an interrogation that basically mirrors Catherine's scene from earlier. Right. Now he's smoking again. Nick walking on an edge. He's always on the verge of completely losing it. I thought it would be funny if they had 
Nick do this interrogation like wearing like shorts and no underwear and he like uncrosses his leg and his like hog is just hanging out yeah, and they're great. just like oh my god because <laughs> it's like yeah he basically repeats a lot of the stuff Catherine said including what are you going to do charge me with smoking yeah, Newman sweating again <laughs> just staring at his dick right okay I went after him I lost my temper do you have any evidence that he showed your psychiatric file to anyone? No. We'll speak with you afterwards, Dr. Garner. I'd like to sit in if you don't mind. I'd really rather wait well, until I don't see out. anything wrong with Dr. Garner sitting in if Detective Curran doesn't object. Where were you last night? Home watching TV. All night? Yes, all night. Were you drinking? Yeah, I was drinking. When did you start drinking again? A couple days ago. I saw Detective Curran at his apartment about 10 o'clock last night. He was sober and lucid. I asked him in my capacity as his departmental therapist about his altercation with Lieutenant Nelson. He expressed regret and displayed no hostility. How long were you at his apartment? About 15 minutes. I saw there was no reason for my concern and left. There's no smoking in this building, Detective. What are you going to do, charge me with smoking? Oh, for Christ. All right, Nick, I'm going to ask you this just once. For the record, did you kill Marty Nilsson? No. Come on, I'm going to storm into his office in front of everybody in the middle of the day and kill him that night? I'm not that dumb. Going after him before gets you off the hook for killing him. That's your alibi. Like writing a book about killing a guy gets you off the hook for killing him. Good point. I don't understand. What are you talking about? What book? Private joke, asshole. I don't think it's funny. You're going on leave, Curran. Pending the outcome of a psychiatric evaluation. Dr. Beth comes into the room. Once again, she's trying to save his ass. It's like, why is she even bothering? Again, how embarrassing for her... She's putting herself out there again, basically saying, yeah, I was over at his apartment last night. Yeah. So he's fine. He didn't do anything. <laughs> at what point is some administrative level position going to get involved and be like, we have got to cut this off between these two. This is completely <laughs> insane. He uses the idea of, man, why, how could I be that dumb to kill a guy that I had a confrontation with? And they're like, oh, just like if you wrote a book about it. <laughs> I mean, it is basically him yes. now taking the right. Catherine Chamel position. So they put him on leave pending psych evaluation. How I many times what this means. can you be put on leave as a cop before they're like, you know what? You've reached your limit. We're just firing you. Well, I think in truth, what would happen here is like they'd be placing him on leave pending the criminal investigation around Nielsen's death. Right. Or arrest him. And then you're definitely on leave. But, like, pending psych evaluation, I don't even understand that. I know. He's constantly under psych evaluation. It seems like it's court-ordered. Afterward, Beth tells Nick that she hardly knew Catherine back at school, but Catherine did give her the creeps then. I love when they talk about Catherine, like, before this, before that he knows that she knows who Catherine is. Because mm -hmm. she starts talking, like, she'll make comments about her, like, she manipulates people. And he's like... How do you know? And she's like, well, I'm a psychiatrist. 
They do a little further investigation into the death of Catherine's parents. This reveals that the boat blew up due to a faulty fuel line. She got a $5 million policy from both of them. Heavy investigation, but it turned up nothing. (laughs) So basically, we're supposed to be like, oh, shit, her parents died under suspicious circumstances. She probably killed them. Right. Nick suspects Catherine of killing Nielsen, of everything, really, but no one else is buying it. So he's Nancy from Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay, yeah. Talking about a guy in their dreams killing them. Everyone's just like, all right, Nick, what are you talking about? Because they're like, well, she passed this lie detector test. It's like, I think we need to drug test you. You must be back on the blow. Well, other than Gus, they weren't getting all of her answers. Like, granted, she gave some wild answers during the interrogation, but... A lot of this teasing and toying is only in front of Nick or in front of Nick and Gus. And I'm sure most of the other cops are like, well, she passed this lie detector test. She doesn't have any prior arrests. What are we going to do? do? Her money is going to bring this department down. (laughs) So they put Nick on leave. He goes home. And Catherine is waiting outside his apartment saying she heard what happened about Nielsen. Okay. And he tells her that he's taking the heat for it, I guess. And she's like, what good's a shooter without his gun? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he invites her up for a drink. I do love him. Immediately like, using an ice pick to break up ice. Did nobody have ice cube trays in 1992? I don't get it. Just everyone has a big hunk of ice to in their me, freezer. <laughs> ice pick, completely impractical thing to own. I, yeah, it's just strange that everyone had this hunk of ice in their freezer and then used an ice pick. Well, it certainly fits into the movie well. I don't think that it was realistic. Well, she liked the- jagged edges. She said. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's a whole new world. I do love him here, though, where he's just like, do you want Jack? That's all I got, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he has, like, nothing in his apartment. She takes the ice pick out of his hands. It's always a game. She's always fucking with him. In this time period where Nick gets put on leave and yet he can't stop being involved with her, it really kicks off this whole cat and mouse thing to a next level that plays out throughout the rest of the film. Catherine has brought a gift for Nick. It's her first novel. She wants him to know about this first novel. Somehow, pre-internet, I guess cops were basically idiots and didn't know that she had written more than one book. Yeah. Because this book is about a boy who kills his parents and makes it look like an accident. Wow. She says that she didn't write the book until after her parents died, unlike the whole Johnny Buzz-themed novel. I'm starting to feel like something's going on here, Catherine. (laughs) She wants him to still follow her. She tells him that she'll be at Johnny Boz's club that night. Wow. One of my favorite scenes of the entire movie. Absolutely. Right I now. With you. Yes. Catherine walking down the stairs out of Nick's apartment passes Gus on the stairs, and Gus just looks at her and he's just like, What the fuck is happening? <laughs> Gus <laughs> just is an unbelievable sighting. Gus's ongoing and very vocal disapproval. Of Nick's involvement with Catherine. I just love it. The comments that he makes. I mean, it's completely logical. It's insane that he's showing up at Nick's apartment after he gets put on leave and outwalks Catherine Chamel, the lead suspect in this murder. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, what is happening right now? Hey, Gus. That night at the club, Nick shows up looking super uncool. What is he wearing? V-neck sweater with nothing underneath. Oof, it's a bad look. Yeah. 
Love Ni- this club scene, though. A lot of cool dancing going on. 90s house music just bumping. Roxy, a phenomenal dancer, I think. Roxy hanging around. It looks yeah. like the same club from Species. I think so, yeah. <laughs> just dancing around. He wants it so bad. Oh, she's yeah. got him wrapped around her finger. Right. First, he's like walking into a restroom, and she's like doing blow with like Roxy and their other random friend. Yeah, and, and they she- just close the door yeah. to the stall. right. But eventually, much to the chagrin of Roxy, Nick starts to tear it up on the dance floor with Catherine. And by tear it up on the dance floor, I mean stand there while she grinds on him. I will say he takes control of the situation here, though. Just grabs her ass. Yeah. This all leads into their first sex scene together. and Pretty wild. The sex scenes in this movie are great. (laughs) There's really no other way to say it. It's a lost art in today's movies. You don't see as much focus on oral sex these days as they put into this scene (laughs) well it is michael douglas and we know that story yeah absolutely how that ended up he's a passionate man yeah there's certainly a death of fantasy in today's sex scenes there's definitely a lack of nudity these things to me aren't necessary for all movies but i think they have their place and yeah I don't know. I think people sometimes just lose the plot sometimes about what entertainment is and why it can be fun. And just like people getting their heads cut off or getting shot point blank range or crazy violence or people saying cool, interesting dialogue that they would never say in real life or somebody getting to be the hero of something or whatever, sex scenes are just like that too. It should be an amplification of real life. I think that it's okay to sometimes have movies that have over-exaggerated wild sex scenes because why okay. wouldn't you want to watch yeah. that? People Two attractive people right? having sex. Yeah. What's wrong with What's that? What's not to like? Now everything has to be super realistic, and so sex on TV or sex in movies is like sex in real life, yeah. and it's awkward and terrible, and it's like, why would you want to watch this? Far more disappointing than the way it is in the movies. Right, and now they're trying to replicate it, is yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, like, now right, it's right. like everything's awkward, and it's like, well, yeah, that is how sex is in real life. Why do movies have to be like real life all the time? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like movies to be realistic sometimes. Yeah, I know, but I'm saying there's yeah. no movies now that are like Basic Instinct, that are just heightening everything That's a good to point. this Not insane level. Not a lot of Basic Instincts out there. Reciprocating oral going on. We see Michael Douglas's dick. Yeah. Sharon's pubes. Mirror on the ceiling. It's all... She's scratching his back, drawing blood. Yeah. (laughs) One thing I do like about the Blu-ray is you can kind of see whatever they did. Like, you can see the the lines on his back for what's going to be the blood spots. (laughs) You know? Yeah. (laughs) High def definitely had a negative impact on some of the effects. Yeah, it'll happen. No, I'm into it still. Don't get me wrong. The big suspenseful moment is when Catherine ties Nick's hands to the bed, like, uh-oh. mirroring the opening scene. Yep. There's a lot of mirroring in this we movie, know the drill which is here. great. The music is just building. The music is always an unsung hero. It's an True. extra character in this movie. It always adds to the suspense. It's just over the top. Right. She's reaching just out of view, so the audience is bracing themselves for something. Yep. There's this downward thrust of... You're like, uh-oh. An orgasm or something. Nick about to be diced up here. So much anticipation here. And, of course, when she collapses down onto him, she does not have a weapon. And right. the sex is over and she unties Nick. But there's certainly a 
a level of Hitchcock or even like De Palma, which oh. is much more similar yeah, because of the sure. nudity. But they're building towards this moment, and it's like the shark in Jaws. It's like, yeah, we didn't even see it until a certain point in the movie, but there's this suspense, and it's like, yeah, she doesn't stab him, but it's almost as good as if it was that scene. Yeah, I think it's pretty well executed. Nervous. I love the uh, aftermath of this, though. Well, first we get Michael Douglas completely nude walking to the bathroom. Right. Always a good shot. But Roxy hanging out in the bathroom. I love this, though, too, when he just goes, hey, Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just a dick. He's very full of himself after this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Almost like cringy. It is. It's sad. Catherine definitely puts him in his place, you know, puts him in check a few times. She does, but it almost has, like, no effect on him, which I almost, like, admire in a weird way. <laughs> She's like, yeah, it wasn't that great. And he's, he's like, just yeah, like, it yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> but it seems like Rocky has some sort of a relationship with Catherine where Catherine will bring home men, and then Rocky will watch as Ro- Rocky. Roxy will watch as, like, a voyeur. Right. And I don't know if we ever really get clear take on who's really calling the shot on this one because Roxy's definitely like, she makes me watch. And Catherine, I think she says she likes it when I watch. I know. I <laughs> embellish a little bit, but like Catherine later, of course, is like, yeah, you know, Roxy likes to watch. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's an interesting question about Catherine's sexuality. Yeah. I mean, I'm buying the Catherine likes her to watch thing. I think Roxy is just into Catherine and wants them to have a relationship. Catherine takes her for granted. Yeah, if you think of Catherine as a normal person, then she's clearly bisexual and Roxy is probably a lesbian and has a certain amount of jealousy towards Catherine's heterosexual rendezvous that happen. But I think in reality, you can't even really necessarily qualify her as some sort of sexuality. It seems like she just does whatever. Maybe she's bisexual, but it could just be she just does what she does. Yeah, if There's I was not asked really... to describe Catherine's sexuality, I would be like, well, she does like... A lot. <laughs> yeah, she does like red wine, but she also likes white wine. <laughs> All right. And she's Schitt's been Creek known to try the occasional rosé. If you don't leave her alone, I'll kill you. Let me ask you something, Rocky. Man to man. I think she's the fuck of the century. What do you think? How long you been here? You like watching, don't you? She likes me to watch. Roxy tells Nick, if you don't leave her alone, I'll kill you. Nick says, I think she's the fuck of the century. What do you think? <laughs> I do love Nick. He's just Nick has so boisterous. much confidence in the sexual performance, so much confidence in his nudity, just standing nude in front of <laughs> Roxy. He's like, yeah, what's up? Walks back to the bed. Roxy leaves mad. The next morning, Nick wakes up from what seems to be a troubled sleep. Catherine is already gone. There's a note that simply says, the beach, comma, see. Nick drives to her beach house in time to see an argument between Roxy and Catherine, though we can't really hear it. I'm not really sure if this is supposed to be like a breakup or if she's just like, deal with it. Did the two of them start a fight that spilled towards the beach? It's like they're all at the mansion, and then all of a sudden Catherine and Roxy are at the beach together. 
yeah. I mean, how much time has passed? Was Nick out for like 12 hours? Well, he's not used to uh, the partying lifestyle because oh, he's been clean for a few months. That's right. The big thing with him is he's been sober for three months. <laughs> I love that I make all of these notes. And then we talk about stuff, and then I'll look down, and I'll be like, we literally just said this. Nick's overconfidence is kind of cringy. (laughs) (laughs) Who does he think is in control? Who is pulling the strings in his mind? That's the part that's super embarrassing. I love that. He thinks that he's somehow in control of this situation, and he's already so far gone. And it's not just talking to Roxy at this point, which was sad enough, but now he's like telling Catherine how great it was. And she's just like... Yeah, I mean, it was fine. Like, I had a good time, but I, you know. Let's not get carried right. away. She almost seems amused by him like a cat toying with a mouse or something. True. Yeah. <laughs> good morning. I guess uh, Rox is not taking this too well, huh? She's seen me fuck plenty of guys. Well, maybe she saw something she's never seen before. She's seen everything before. Honey, I thought I'd seen everything before. Did you really think it was so special? I told her I thought it was the fuck of the century. (laughs) Well, what do you think? I thought it was a pretty good beginning. What about Roxy? Is she more fun? Would you like her to join us sometime? Did she join you and Johnny? No, Johnny felt intimidated. Look what happened to him. Tell me, Nikki, were you frightened last night? That's the point, wasn't it? That's what made it so good. You shouldn't play this game. Why not? I like it. You're in over your head. Maybe. But this is how I'll catch my killer. I'm not going to confess all my secrets, Nick, just because I have an orgasm. You won't learn anything I don't want you to know. Yes, I will. And I'll nail you. Nah. You'll just fall in love with me. I'm in love with you already. But I'll nail you anyway. You can put that in your book. Nick goes out for a night on the town with Gus. They go to this honky-tonk bar. Yeah, Gus is just hammered. Gus is like, you are one dumb son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> then they go to this diner. Gus just being a complete ass. This reminds me of some of our nights at like an Eaton Park. <laughs> you know, Everyone in the restaurant just, just looking, looking at over. us. Gus is almost like Nick's drunken conscience, though. Sure, he's making a scene, but he's trying to explain this to nick in a way he's not really reaching him but he he understands what's happening in a way that nick doesn't seem to even though gus seems like a buffoon oh yeah but gus is definitely obsessed with like the power of the pussy type thing and you know (laughs) yeah he's got a hypnotic control over nick it would not have been a surprise to see him like in one of the uh, conference rooms with tom cruise's character from magnolia where he's just like (laughs) respect the cock IA found Nielsen had a safety deposit box with 50000 in it taken out three months ago and has not been used since. So this is the first detail that doesn't really fit in with what... Because, okay, this is starting to like back us off the trail of Nick Nielsen thing a little bit because it's like it's introducing the idea that something was weird with Nielsen. 
something was going on before yeah. Nick got involved, right. basically. Because Nick's like, well, this doesn't make any sense. She didn't know me three months ago. So why would Nielsen have got my file from Beth, and why would Catherine have paid him the money for it right. before she knew me? And the only explanation you can come back to is what hasn't been revealed yet, but it's not Nick who is the ultimate target of all of this. Sure, yeah. Gus says maybe it wasn't her that paid him. They leave. Drunk driving Gus. <laughs> just yes. hammered, gets oh, it in yeah. and drives. This leads to the next just like crazy, absurd chase scene. Nick walks back to his car, and there's a vehicular homicide attempt on him. This looks straight out of I Know What You Did Last Summer. It's the same black Lotus of Spirit car that was in front of Catherine's house that she drove over to Hazel Dobkins. Tries to run him over. He jumps up in the nick of time, so he kind of lands on the windshield. It backs up and tries to hit him. He dives out of the way. He gets in his car. There's a chase through the San Francisco hills at night. By the way, he's not driving through roads for a lot of this he's like driving up steps somehow this car <laughs> yeah. is surviving it they drive to like a bridge that's out of service they pass the full house house that's true on that bridge the two cars play a crazy game of chicken the attacker swerves and then loses control and goes off of the bridge nick pulls over runs down the side of the hill down to the bottom of the bridge now, what do you think here does he think this is Catherine at some point i guess that's what it feels like yeah right? He runs down to see, and it ends up being Roxy, who is dead. Yeah. Even though she doesn't really look fucked up or anything. It's true. She's just dead <laughs> in the car. And again, I'm like, how is Nick going to explain this one? More suspicion on Nick when the other cops arrive, and he gives them like a fucking broke-ass story. Yeah, I mean, everywhere you turn, there's a dead body. Right. And Nick. <laughs> I know. And the prime suspect of a high-profile murder seems to know him during the interrogation, and just everything points to Nick being shady. True. Another session with Dr. Beth, and then she brings in two other doctors to consult. It does not go well. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, Nick flips out. Losing his temper a little bit here. After Dr. Beth reveals she knows a little more about Catherine than we were first led to believe. Yeah, you found out Beth was down to clown a little bit. Well, not yet. Okay. <laughs> That's, she hasn't said that yet. Well, okay. It's still not really dawning on him that the connection between the two is a big deal. Oh, right. And the fact that this is now Something a second conversation and it's like, oh, off. they knew each other a little bit more. I think this may have been when she references knowing the teacher that was murdered as well. There's a whole lot going on to this backstory that Nick is initially like, wait, what? And then is just distracted. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, he just like right. loses it immediately. <laughs> He goes to see Catherine. She's grieving. She's crying over Roxy's death. Yeah, again, we have one of these what feels like a glimpse into the, the real Catherine. The walls are down a little bit. No? No. If she's truly a sociopath or a psychopath, then this is a show. Oh, yeah. She's doing this because this is what she thinks that you should do. Right. Pretty good, though. Pretty convincing. Everybody that I care about dies, she says. Yeah. Which, is that foreshadowing? This is sort of the we weirdest death, though, in the movie, because, like, every other death is, like, somebody moving pieces, and this is just Roxy on her own deciding to go rogue and trying to kill Nick. The whole Roxy thing is only slightly more relevant than the Hazel Dobkins thing. True. It's almost just for the titillating factor of having Catherine yeah. be involved with another woman who's well, also attractive, because there's really no other point to this. a murderer, by the way. Well, the, yeah, they haven't found that out yet, right. but yes. 
Catherine tells Nick a story about a girl she knew in college. She slept with her once. Then the girl became obsessed and possessive, stalking her, copying her, dyeing her hair like her. She says that this girl's name was Lisa Oberman. I actually rewound this part several times to see if she really said Oberman. Yeah, she does. Yeah. After Roxy's death, they find out that she killed her brothers when she was 16 for no reason, just like Hazel Dobkins. The reason why they didn't know this earlier was because since she was a juvenile, the record was sealed. Yeah. Now that she's dead, it's been unsealed. A lot of female killers not doing hard time. Even so, out loud, Nick is now saying he has doubts about Catherine's guilt. Do we believe him, though? Does he actually have doubts about her guilt, or is he just now... At a certain point it, in this movie, I have completely lost Nick's motives for the decisions that he makes. Yeah, you're never really sure what side he's on. Yeah. <laughs> he's just on the side of There's a part getting that laid and getting like, paid. But yeah, I mean, it definitely feels like at times it's just like, yes, Catherine did it. No, I don't care. Yes, I want to continue this relationship with her. <laughs> But he ultimately does follow up on a lot of this shit, though. True. Because if he didn't, then us as viewers probably wouldn't ever get a lot of these backstory details. Because he decides to go up to Berkeley to follow up on this Lisa Oberman person that Catherine talked about. No record of her. They have no record of that student in 1983. They do have a record of Catherine Chamel, though. And so what is his motivation here? Is he trying to catch her in a lie, or does he want a boogeyman to blame this on? Does he hope that Lisa Oberman is a real person uh, yeah, so I that he can so. blame it in his mind on right. her, that this is what is happening? And just continue this relationship with Catherine, wondering if you'll ever be stabbed multiple times by an ice pick? He confronts Catherine, and this is the first time we see anger from her. Yeah, And I do think that this is like pulling the mask away a little okay. bit where she's just annoyed true that this asshole is not well that's the thing you know this is her game and now he's going off the course a little bit so she says i said hoberman which as you pointed out she didn't right she definitely said oberman so was this a test i don't know okay that name checks out he finds out over payphone he goes to the police department there's like another guy there they pull up some dmv records this is a pretty big reveal. I think like the first time you watch this movie when you're kind of overloaded with all these twists and turns <laughs> yeah. and Sharon Stone's vagina and right. you're just like, what is happening? So There's so on. much going on. I don't know if this reveal, if you really even understand this reveal. Yeah. So they pull up this DMV record and they find out that Lisa Hoberman, Hoberman is Dr. Beth Garner. <laughs> Dun. I like when they pull up the 1983 pick, and it's literally the same picture, except they just have, like, a blonde wig on. Right, like, right. the face is oh, exactly the, the same. Too. It's terrible. Yeah. So Nick goes and waits in Beth's apartment for her to come home. He confronts her. She says, I slept with her once in school. She was experimenting. By the way. Just that one time. These two both keep the key to the other's apartment for much longer than it seems like they should. Agreed. Thanks. Beth says it was actually Catherine who developed the fixation on her. And the reason that Beth didn't ever reveal this was because she was embarrassed. I mean, what was she going to say? That she had a lesbian experience? It was obviously a different time. Well, it's like... Something like that would be... Yeah, you should have. I definitely think we'd still be dating if you'd revealed that to me. <laughs> if I knew you had that in your arsenal. That's right. I mean, come on. 
Nick displays some legitimate anger here. I don't know where the anger is coming from. If it it's, is a, I will say, it's a crazy thing to withhold. With what's all the stuff that's going on with the Catherine Trammell. Right. And I, I think, mean, again, if Nick was even a halfway decent cop, I mean, this isn't even a red flag. It's like a fucking red banner thrown right in your face. Yes. I mean, what do you... What is happening? Like, all these things keep getting revealed. <laughs> Nick's quick to just accept it and keep going. Yeah, like, there's got to be some connection here. What is happening? Beth had the professor that was murdered as well, and he's like, you never said anything. She's embarrassed. It was her only time with a woman, and she changed her name when she got married. That's why she used to be known as Lisa Hoberman. Even when she gives this explanation, I wasn't entirely clear on what the explanation was for the first name being different. She says something, but I don't, I don't really remember what that was. Was her like middle name Elizabeth? Could be. Uh, yeah, it's strange. Yeah. But she seems to at least present the idea of Catherine just handing Beth to the police as a suspect. Right. Nick is just reeling and can't deal with any of this. It's just like, what the fuck is happening? Like, what do you mean you knew her? <laughs> you had sex with her? What is What is going on? Yeah. So he's like storming out and she's like, don't you understand? She's presenting me as the suspect. And right. he's just like, fuck it. And Leading she's like, to like one of my favorite moments in the movie. Go ahead. Right? She's crazy. She's brilliant. <laughs> she's evil. She's oh, yeah, brilliant. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I almost had it. Nick. God, I mean, do you really think that I could kill someone? I mean, I never even met Johnny Boz. And what about Nilsson? What possible motive would I have to kill Nilsson? Get that lock fixed. God. She's evil! She's brilliant! Beth just screaming in the hall. This is what I mean when I said that, like, Gene Triplehorn is game for how over the top this is. That's right. It's just a hilarious scene, but it's so great. And I think the fun thing about the movie is, up until the very end, you have, like, no clue what is happening. Right. I guess I feel like you get to this point in the movie, and you feel like most of the things are on the table. And and I think, okay, I know a, a twist is still coming. But there's still so many little details that they throw in in between. This whole thing of the investigation of what happened with her ex-husband. Yeah. I feel like it, it really takes a few more turns. Catherine is waiting for Nick back at his place. She says she filed a report with campus police against Lisa Hoberman. There's some back and forth. Nick doesn't know who to believe. He goes and checks out the police department, the campus police, to find this report. Turns out there is a report from January 1980, but it's missing. (laughs) Convenient. He asks who has it. Turns out it's Nielsen, and he's had it for a whole year. Yeah. I guess they don't chase that stuff down. Really throws a lot of confusion onto me, at least. It's like, what the fuck is going on? How did Nielsen get involved with Catherine? I don't know. Yeah. That's a whole movie right there. Nick is discussing this all with Gus on a really long pier that they just walk out That's onto true. for some yeah. reason. And right. I'm like, and then they get Fisherman's into a screaming warfare, match. Yeah. yeah. And then it's like, well, now you got to walk all the way back right. <laughs> by yourself, mad. Catherine again is at Nick's when he gets back. A lot of people just waiting at each other's apartments. Oh, yeah. Right. Definitely a pre-texting era. You just had to go <laughs> wait for right. someone. Well, I mean, and obviously, like, Catherine doesn't have a key to his apartment. Yeah, I think he just she just gets in, though. She's inside oh, this time. Sure, yeah. They have sex. She tells him that her book is nearly finished and my detective's almost dead. Yeah, so you might not get another shot at this. He proposes a different theory, a different ending, and she says no because someone has to die. For some reason. 
Nick now drives down to Salinas to try to find out about Beth's history. He's looking for her ex-husband, Dr. Joseph Garner. Turns out he died years ago. He was shot in a drive-by. Yeah, here we go again. The cop tells him that another San Francisco PD guy was asking around about it. It turns out it was Nielsen. Wow. Pressing this cop for details, Nick finds out that there was talk of a girlfriend. And Nick's like, he had a girlfriend? The cop's like, no, she did. What investigation was Nielsen doing? I don't know. I mean, it's, I don't know how crazy. to answer that because I've watched this movie several times and I'm I'm not sure what's going on with Nielsen. I know. He's been dead now for an hour in this movie right. and yet he keeps coming up. There was something going on. Clearly, he was investigating Beth a year ago, but taking money from supposedly maybe Catherine $50,000 3 months ago? Yeah. I think the idea is that any number of scenarios could have been happening. Yeah. And it's like, well maybe Beth and Catherine were working together at one point, and it then there was a gets split. You thinking. Yeah. Who knows? Nick goes to see Catherine. He sees the ending of the book printing on the printer. If you pay super close attention, you can see the main cop guy finding his dead partner, describing right. like a bloody scene. When Catherine comes in, she's cold. She says, goodbye, Nick. I finished my book. Nick flips out when oh, he realizes yeah. that she's trying to break it off of him. He's like, it's over. what is this, some kind of joke? <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I love how depressed Nick gets when it's over between him and Catherine. He is so dejected. Well, wouldn't you be? Yeah. This has to be the most exciting thing that's ever happened. Right. Hi. I missed you. Huh. I finished my research. I finished my book. Yeah. So how does it end? I told you. She kills him. Goodbye, Nick. Goodbye? Yeah. I finished my book. Didn't you hear me? Your character's dead. What do you want, flowers? I'll send you an autographed copy. What is this, some kind of joke? We playing a game here? Games are over. You were right. It was the fuck of the century. Shooter. Hazel Dobkin's just hanging around. Another red herring. Just throwing this other character, yeah. this old lady who murdered her family and that never really says anything or does yeah, anything. Just sort of hangs out, living her life in San Francisco. Dejected, Nick then meets up with Gus, who has received a call from Catherine's college roommate. Gus is all in on this investigation now. Once Nick starts talking about Catherine being innocent, it's really only Gus that's carrying the torch of Catherine's guilt. Yeah, true. The, as we've already established, the other cops just yeah, kind of moved on right. after the lie detector. Gus, Gus, is, Gus still remembers those car rides and the <laughs> suspicious looks that him and Nick shared with each other. Gus has arranged to meet the roommate at an office building in Oakland so that they can really learn the truth as to what happened all those years ago between Catherine and Beth. This, this leads to another strange moment for me. Nick's realization in the car. The two of them drive over to Oakland. Gus also has found a connection between Beth and Johnny Boz by way of Johnny's psychiatrist, 
who shares office space with Beth. Okay. Because once they find out about the whole Lisa Hoberman, is this one Beth too many thing, details at this point? This detail, no. This is okay. a crucial thing because the whole idea is to make the audience not sure if it's Beth or Catherine. True. We've skated around that as we've gone through this and we've talked about it. Right. There's briefly a red herring of Roxy. The whole thing with Hazel is mostly nothing. But the the main idea is this has to be either Catherine or Beth. We don't know what is going on. Right. The question hanging over the police and, to a lesser extent, the audience, who's probably forgotten about Johnny Boz, is, well, what is the connection between Beth and Johnny Boz? We can connect Beth to, like, everything else. Right. Probably. But the Johnny Boz thing... It seems unrelated. Yeah. You could have just used the argument that she was obsessed with Catherine, and then that was the connection that got her involved with Johnny. Yeah, you could as the audience, but I think to get Gus there, true, you'd have to throw something else in, especially once everything comes together very neatly at right. the end. <laughs> Nick sulking the whole time. <laughs> He's just like, I don't even give a shit yeah. what's going What's on? the point of even living? My life is over. Yeah. <laughs> He's, like, trying to grab for Gus's gun to kill himself. <laughs> Pulls that move from Vanilla Sky and just, like, grabs the steering wheel and they pull into the friggin' bay. Gus, I swallowed your cum. <laughs> just drives over a bridge. Wow. <laughs> That's a reference. Yeah, I mean, if people haven't seen Vanilla Sky, then that might sound crazy, what I just said. <laughs> might sound crazy either yeah, way. true. When they get there, Gus goes in alone because Nick is still on leave. Inside the office building, the fucking elevator stops on every goddamn floor. I don't get it. It's almost like the end of the last episode of The Sopranos. It's right. just they're building, building the suspense where you're just like, what's happening? I have to say, you know, like I said, the first time I ever saw this movie, it was on TV. I was, like, pretty young. This part really scared me. And what happened, like, it really freaked me out. And when I saw this movie years later in high school or whatever... I was expecting the movie to be a lot scarier because it, this part really scared me when I was younger and saw this. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty nuts scene. I think another movie that we're going to be doing for One Trashy Summer has a scene very similar to this. True, yeah. Outside, it finally dawns on Nick. He remembers the end of Catherine's novel. Is that what it is? It's weird because they're like, they're showing almost like his point of view for a second, looking at the building. Yeah. And it makes it seem like he sees something. But you know he doesn't because no. there's nothing to see. No, I mean, yeah, I think the first time you watch it, it might be unclear. But the idea is he saw that paragraph printing. He remembers that, like, the setup was right. basically what was happening. Yeah, yeah. He goes sprinting inside. He Which takes the steps. should make you think here that it's got to be Catherine. I mean, how is Beth? Right, for the audience, yeah, yeah. we understand. But there is the curveball coming up. Right, so, true. alas, he's too late. Gus is stabbed repeatedly with an ice pick right as the elevator opens onto the fourth floor. Yeah, Gus, I mean, not really a cop prepared for anything here. Yeah, I mean, I think you're being harsh. I, don't, I mean, what was he supposed to do, come out with his gun? Like, he thinks he's just meeting... That's true. <laughs> ...like it, a regular person. I don't know. It feels like he could have put up some sort of fight here. I mean, I guess the first stab, you're out of it right after that. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to stab you in the face with an ice pick and see how... Oh, I think he got it more in, like, the shoulder the first time, right? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't do a frame-by-frame frame on this one. Well, you might need to. The attacker is wearing a dark, hooded raincoat, and so you can't see their face. Their identity's obscured. Nick finally gets up there. He finds Gus just in tatters. 
Yeah, <laughs> just it's pretty rough. Ruined, right? Blooded, pooling out of his neck. It looks like he's gonna try to say something, but obviously he can't talk, and then he just dies. Nick takes his gun. Beth suddenly is there in the hallway, saying she got a message to meet Gus there. Nick confronts her about her husband, her potential lesbianism. Right. (laughs) Truthfully, though, she doesn't understand the danger of the situation. She won't take her hand out of her pocket. Yeah. It makes it seem like she's got her hand wrapped around something in her pocket that she's pointing up towards Nick. He shoots her. Yeah. Freeze! What are you doing here? Put your hands up! Put your fucking hands up! I got a message on my machine to meet Gus here. Where is he? Don't move! Don't you move! I know about your husband. You still like girls, Beth? What? Take your hand out of your pocket! Take him out! What's wrong with you? Take him out! I put the closed captioning on. It seems like, according to that, she says, I loved you. But it definitely sounds like, I love you. Yeah, we might need like an excerpt from the actual script <laughs> to see what the intention was here. The one thing I noticed, though, is the person that attacks Gus gets blood all over their hands True. and lower arms right. and wrists. Beth has no blood on her hands. That's a good point. When they recover the items here in a minute, they don't find gloves. No. So, pretty obvious that it's not Beth. I think so. She didn't have a gun. She was just fingering her Bart Simpson keychain in her pocket. As she often did. The other cops show up and say, what made you think she had a gun? You know? (laughs) But again, not arrested. Yeah, they're kind of like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) We didn't think too highly of her anyway. On the steps in the stairwell, they find a blonde wig, a coat, and an ice pick. The jacket has SFPD, meaning it's one of theirs, on the back. This points the finger directly at Beth. When they go to Beth's apartment, they find all kinds of evidence, including a gun. Right. Everything matches what several people have been killed by. Including Nielsen. Yeah. Everything points to her as being the killer of everyone. Plenty of evidence of an obsession with Catherine. Photos, news clippings, etc. Everything points to Beth almost too perfectly. True. Nick feels like he knows the truth, but what can he say? He's confused, exhausted. Yeah. You think at this point Nick thinks that it wasn't all Beth? Yeah. Okay. I think that's like his reaction. Yeah. I think as soon as he realized she didn't have the gun, he didn't believe it was her. Yeah, true. But at this point, though, it's almost like after Catherine passed the lie detector, it's like, well, now what are, we what are you going to do? do? When he leaves, Catherine is at his apartment Yet again, it's like, what right. the fuck? <laughs> she already had broken up with him, and now she's here. She puts on quite the show. Yeah, yeah. Giving him everything that he could want. Tears, saying she's just afraid to get close to him. Giving in to like everything a man in Nick's okay. position would want right. out of this. Because she was shitty to him and acted so cold, and now it's like, the woman that scorned you, that shunned you, is now yep. coming back to you and begging you. And your take on this is, this is not real at all from her. This is not genuine. No. Okay. Why? Do you think it is? The end of this movie throws me off. I don't get it. 
Well, we'll get there. Okay. Because I have I have an idea. All right. I would like to hear it. They have sex, her on top again, insane music, another big fake out of her riding him on top, yep. climaxing, bringing her arms down after they've been off screen and you're not well, sure. Well, that's the thing. I mean, we know that the book ends with Shooter being killed, so right. I th- you think that's what we're set up for. Although, it's like, how would she get out of this one? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Post-sex, she's reaching off camera as they're talking to each other. Her hand is, like, constantly off screen. He's telling her, well, I guess we'll fuck, like, Minx, raise Rugrats, live happily ever after. She says that she doesn't want kids, and he's just like, well, I guess we'll just fuck, like, Minx, live happily ever after. (laughs) The music is just building and swirling. She's reaching off. Her arm is, like, across. And then she turns so fast. And you're like, what the fuck? And then they just kiss, and the music is just blaring. Seems insane. The fact that, like, what actually happens, and obviously it's because of the big fake out, but she uses her whole body to swing her arm over and They kiss in just an overly yeah. passionate right. way. It's so great, where you're just like, yes. <laughs> so funny. Okay, so. Fades to black, and then, wait, oh no, it unfades. <laughs> right, I do like that, yeah. The fake the out of the fading to black, it pans down under the bed to reveal an ice pick is there. Yeah. Which is the final indication. When did she plant that there? I guess she comes into his apartment when he's not there all the time. <laughs> yeah, she's just constantly hanging out right. there. I think the reason she doesn't kill him is... She's found a counterpart. Yeah, the thing that we've been talking about under the surface is that he's just like her, and so she's finally found her wow. match. How dark. Yeah. That's one way to read I will say how she acts. I messed it up earlier, but she is evil. She is brilliant. She's evil! She's brilliant! The plates that she had to spin to get this all together. Yeah. It's an insane idea that she was a mastermind of all of these things and right. everything just magically worked out. Everything, yeah. Everybody acted in the way they needed to act to make everything fall into place. No one ever gets arrested. So the idea, I guess, is her involvement with Dr. Beth is what is the answer to like everything else okay. that you don't even understand. I don't know how long IA had been investigating Nick, but clearly the roadblock into them getting Nick was Dr. Beth, right? which could be the only logical explanation you could use as to why Nielsen was investigating Beth so long ago. He was potentially trying to get dirt on Beth, Somehow he crosses paths with Catherine, who then uses him for information, uses him for leverage to get things, finds out about Beth's involvement with Nick, which then leads into this whole cat and mouse game Wild. between the two of them. Yeah. Yeah. Does it all make sense? That's debatable. It certainly <laughs> yeah, didn't, right. wouldn't probably play out like this, because how could you predict all of these things would happen? Sure, sure. But that's why it's a movie. Yep. And it's just highly entertaining. I would say so, yeah. <laughs> That's Basic Instinct, folks. A good kickoff to this. Like I said, I mean... Is it really? a trashy movie? Yes. I'm going to say so, yeah. But it's also... A good movie. Very good and very mainstream. and Just fun to watch, man. I, I just it, it put me in such a good mood. Certainly the biggest blockbuster that we'll be covering over one trashy summer, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> just the way the characters act around each other. I, it's just, you know, I get such a high from it. Sharon Stone would go on to star in another film written by Joe Esterhaus called Sliver. Wow, yeah. Or is that what it's called? Sliver? Yes. Yes. 
The one in that apartment building? Yeah, yeah, with the Baldwin guy. Right. Not a great movie. No, no. Had potential to be really awesome, though. Did it's you not ever, terrible, though. Did you ever see Basic Instinct 2? I have not. It's pretty terrible. You've seen it. I have, yeah. Wow. It's almost like Roadhouse 2 for sure. me. It's like, I don't even want to know it. Right. I just don't even want to know about it. it. Yeah, there's nothing to say about it. All right. Well, this has been a massive, massive episode. Absolutely. I don't think the other ones this month will be nearly this long. We so let don't off get with worried. a biggie. Yeah. Yeah, this was the centerpiece. We right. went right for it week one. We've been dying to do this movie because it's so great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you've never sat down and actually watched Basic Instinct start to finish, it's a high recommend Absolutely. from this podcast. That's for sure. As always, follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Subscribe on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating or review if you get a chance. And stay tuned for the rest of One Trash of Summer. Well, baby, when times are bad, call on me, darling, and I'll come to you. When you're in trouble and feel so sad, well, call on me, darling, I said call on me, and I'll help you. Whoever I want, whenever I want. I'll fuck with them so hard, I'll rip their taints in half. Then I'll wear one part of the taint and I'll lock it around my neck. Give the other half of the taint locket to your mom. Just shove up her ass. Pretty soon after, at the whorehouse she whores around at, someone will say to her, hey, hey, Mrs. Tucker, what's that shiny little object coming out of your crack? She'll be like, oh, this ass jewelry? Just spit shined it up. Opie and Gregory gave me that. As a reminder that my son's a fucking loser. <laughs>